Hello everyone, welcome to episode 10 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pollock. If you have not yet done so, head to coldwaves.net right now for ticket links and the full lineup of the band performing at Cold Waves 4 in Chicago September 24th through 26th. These shows are about to sell out and you do not want to miss them. Check out our previous episodes to hear from nine of those bands. Joining me today to talk about the festival, as well as his band Acumen Nation performing the kickoff show at Double Door on the 24th, is Jason Novak. We're starting this episode off with the first song you'll hear them play as part of their 20-year anniversary performance of Transmissions from Evil. This is Matador.
going back to the history of this event starting in 2012 when we lost Jamie. Jamie was Acumen Nation with us, you know, one of the original members, one of our brothers. And that's just been kind of like the foundation of all of this is the guys that played in that band with him coming together every year, whether it's to do Iron Lung, uh, another, you know, band that was an offshoot of it, or to play Acumen Nation like we did last year. Um, and then creeping up on the 20th anniversary of our first record, it seemed like an opportune time to kind of tie it to this event and also respect the fact that, you know, we can't get on stage at Cold Waves and play an hour. So we started thinking, how can we do kind of an auxiliary event where we can play the whole album and really celebrate the birth of Acumen and the birth of the band that Jamie was in that, you know, kind of was the impetus for this whole situation. So last year we tried doing a couple auxiliary events with Cold Waves, like a kickoff show and a closing show, and then it seemed we learned a little bit from it and we learned what to do and what not to do. And this year it seemed like make it more of a legitimate show at a legitimate venue and maybe bring in some more bands that, you know, could kind of be the kickoff party. So this seemed like a really neat idea was to kind of own the kickoff party, bring our our whole family and friends and the whole community of Chicago industrial that has known us forever and, and helped kick off this big cold waves event by, you know, playing the album in its entirety. So besides the acumen show on Thursday, you're going to be playing Saturday with Chris Connolly as cocksure. And you're also one of the festival organizers. How do you manage to, to play in multiple sets and stay on top of all the other things that come with the territory of organizing a three-day festival? In the past, actually, I've played both nights, and that's been kind of insane, whether it was with Aki Crack or Iron Lung or Cocksure or helping you know, put the revolting Cox set up together a couple of years ago. And I'm actually excited that I'm only going to be playing the one night and getting most of the work that I need to do as a performer out of the way Thursday. And I have been advised through people that do this for a living that, you know, you, I do all the work up front. I book the bands, I book the travel, I negotiate the rates, I put together the immigration, get the hotels, get the transport, get the back line, build this whole thing. And, it was brought to my attention by people that do this for a living, like, you should probably maybe find a way to sit back and just enjoy the event and put other people in positions of authority to handle the red tape, the rides, the logistics, the stage, the production, and, and you know, maybe I'll be the guy that closes everybody out at the end, but, you know, it was a neat bit of advice, so I think I will take them up on that, and so this year we have people with more specific jobs, I'll just be there to kind of you know, shake hands, enjoy myself, make sure everything goes well, pay everybody at the end, and and not also take on a bunch of jobs. So let's go into the lineup. It seems like every year you guys not only go bigger with the headliners, but you also find the, the new blood of the newer bands. So how do you and Dave Schott go through the process of figuring out who you're going to reach out to? Is there is there a wish list? Are there arguments over who should play? No, I don't, there's never really been arguments, but it also, there, there's a real a fine line between what your taste is and what is successful. There's always been this kind of secret directive that the band has to at least somewhat fit into Jamie's framework of, of music. You know, there's a handful of bands I'm not going to name that we just, he doesn't like, didn't like. I can just tell you that we won't ever book those bands and no one will ever know who they are. And that's, that's neither here nor there, but it's just kind of to make sure that it fit in with his philosophy of, of music. And 
And, uh, you know, at the same time, Dave and I have pretty interesting tastes, I think, when it comes to this music. And neither of us, you know, fit into the cookie cutter stylings of industrial that have shown up over the last 20 years. I also consider myself a child of Chicago, you know, the burgeoning wax track scene of the, of the mid to late eighties. I, I went to Medusa's as a teenager. I, I hung out on Clark street. I went to the alley. I, I, I was so part of something that grew out of Chicago. So there's all these little things that need adhering to, you know, there's gotta be a connection to the old Chicago scene. There's gotta be some sort of wax tracks bit involved. You know, there's gotta be the Jamie factor something. Would he have signed off on it? Yes. And then really most important, there's got to be some innovation and some interest in, in performing and creating music. I mean, bands that press a button and growl on stage with makeup and don't really play music, that, that has its place. There's festivals and there's huge shows in Europe where that that's just widely accepted and, and well-loved. And the outfits look good. They, they, they're wearing the, the right thing. They've got the goggles, the makeup, or whatever it takes to pull that off. But... We've always been just more of kind of regular dudes who like to make strange, aggressive, dark, awful music. And, you know, I always felt an affinity for people that put that before their fashion or their part of a scene or the way they, they needed to fit in. So all those factors come together, and then we still have to make sure that it's not just passion projects. Now, I'll admit, Severed Heads, I've been trying to get them for the last couple of years. The minute this became a thing... My first thought was Severed Heads. I, that was one of the most important, you know, and they're not even industrial, but whatever. They were on network. They got lumped in with that whole thing, but I've always wanted to see them come back and figured if I can make that happen, then this is you know, a dream come true. So that, that's a passion project that I believed in. You know, I, I wanted to make happen. You know, Dave had his suggestions, things that he said, we've got to do this. We've got to get this band in. There's so many factors that go into it. I could run on and on, but at the end of the day, I think. When you look at our lineups and you look at other festival lineups, there's something special going on. There's something a little bit different. And then, you know, definitely bands like Human Traffic this year and Three Teeth and Youth Code last year and High Functioning Flesh and just bands that we think are going to be the next generation to take the interesting and innovative mantle and run with it. That's that's who we want to work with.
I wasn't able to get Godflesh this year on the on the show, but you guys did a cover of one of their songs on the compilation last year. So I just wanted to quickly talk about the compilations that you do annually that you can pick up at the show with the bands on them. There's some really fun and unique tracks that are on there that usually you can't find somewhere else. Yeah, that's a that's a fun thing for us to do is to make sure that people that come to the festival that might not be familiar with half the music can pick up a little something to, to bring with them or just expose themselves to more of this music that they might have missed. They missed the first couple of bands or whatever. And then it gives everybody kind of a keepsake, you know, for the night. And we just do what anyone else who's doing a, a compilation can do. We want to spread music. We want to, that it helps raise money for the charity and it gives people a chance to put something exclusive on there. And by all means, we'll, we'll take older tracks or tracks that have already been pre-released. And we definitely have a, a handful of them this year, but we also have a handful of cool remixes that you can't get anywhere else and exclusive tracks or cover versions. And, you know, again, you're dealing with bands that don't, some of them are, are, are fairly out of the loop when it comes to putting out new music bands like lab report this year, even front two, four, two last year, we, we asked them, was there something that we could do to put a two, four, two track on this, compilation and they were kind enough to give us stems from a track on the uh, no comment record from 20 years ago and 30 years ago geez and that was just that was a dream to be able to remix that i mean i had so much fun doing that but you know that's a special thing that you, you can't get anywhere else and some bands don't exist anymore as far as they'll get together and kind of have a reunion play this show and there's if there was a way to get a little something that was never released or something that didn't find its way out then that's a cool thing for us to do and, and, and help spread the word of these bands. So with Acumen turning 20 this year, tell me about what music was like in 1995. Tell me about the scene. Um, I think Wax Tracks might have been done by then. They, they had already filed and TVT had picked them up. But the smaller labels, the ones out on the West Coast, like 21st Circuitry and Reconstruction and Fifth Column, I mean, those guys had picked up the mantle and were doing well. And the coolest thing about those those labels, the labels themselves were great, but the promising thing was that they had great distribution. You know, you used to be able to go and find your CD in, in Tower and Best Buy, and this was, you know, for underground music that wasn't getting a whole lot of press or a whole lot of play. This was really exciting at the time, so it legitimized this music. It wasn't just basement tapes getting traded, and it wasn't, you know, zines that you'd read about and only be able to buy the music at the show. You could You could find this stuff in some big chains, so... Everybody really felt like they had just as much of a shot as anybody else of taking the next step. It was really laid out. You put out a record, you toured. If you got good reviews, you got that L.A. show, you never know who might show up. I mean, we were all vying for it. I mean, I remember 16 Volt and Hate Department and, you know, us and Chem Lab. I mean, everybody thought if this scene grows and, and, and you're the one that stands out, you're the one that might get a shot to put out a bigger record. And the options were limitless and press actually paid attention because it was such a different world back then. Music wasn't just inundated with hundreds of bands and thousands of tracks. And you just, you could still keep track of it, you know, and this was even before the internet and you could totally keep track of all this music. So at the time, the possibility of anything happening was very real and, you know, we still thought we were making subversive music and, and that that could even get noticed and get you a shot at making, you know, a bigger splash and maybe a career out of it. Are there any songs that you're playing in the Transmissions album that you never played live before? Uh, 
we planned them all live. In fact, we were trying to find something of a little keepsake we can come up with that night for people that come. And our first two tours that we ever did, we have these hilarious, in my opinion, set funny set lists. We were on our second tour, only put out one record, but we built five different set lists because we were so concerned that what if what if we get to the show and it's really kind of like a moody, dark thing? Or what if we get to the show and the opening bands are all fast and frenetic? Or you know, what if the crowd is really into this or that kind of thing? And we literally had 30 songs that we had broken into five different sets thinking... Oh, well, we'll have to choose the right set. I mean, so dumb when we look back on it. Any band in their right mind would have had one set and played one fucking set really well. But we had five sets, and it had chameleon skin in it, or the Veruca Salt cover that we did at the time, or we were doing a uh, Susie and the Banshees cover, or, you know, oh, here's the set where we pull out the weird guitars and play these two eight-minute songs. I mean, way overthinking. So that's kind of fun. So to answer your question, we've played all these songs before, but personally, the chance to play songs like The Worms or Chameleon Skin, which never really made it into the next album's worth of tours or anything beyond that, I mean, that's going to be a moment to cherish because we haven't played those songs in, you know, 20 years. So, I mean, I've spent the last, you know, couple of weeks locked in a studio just getting these these old sounds and these old loops and brushing off these floppy disks and loading them back up to get these these loops back because all of our old backing tracks have since been destroyed. And we've taken a lot of the songs off of that first document album and kind of rebuilt them for live purposes later. Everything's been down-tuned or sped up. And the point of doing this album was to go back to the real speed and the real style and try to make sure that we're doing it you know, the same way. So that's, that's been a lot of work. And then to learn all the songs and play them again and build everything so that the rest of the guys can learn them. I mean, cause Acumen's sets have always just been these gallops and we just, we just power through them and we try to squeeze as many songs in as possible. And I just hope that everybody takes a minute to look at each other on stage and go, we're still here, man. We're still doing this and we're still raising the glass to Jamie and, and saying we're lucky to have the opportunity to do this. And I hope everybody just breathes it in. And it's obvious that there's, you know, we sold a lot of tickets. There's going to be a lot of people there. It's, it's, you know, a lot of people who come in from out of town, that's going to be the, the kickoff party. And it's just, we're really looking forward to, to it being a, a warm, wonderful time, you know, have that night and go to sleep and then wake up. And then it's 48 hours of work to, to pull off that festival and really make it a magical thing.
Along with Matador, you heard a cover of Godflesh's Xenoibis and a live performance of Anchorite from Cold Waves 3. For more information on Acumen Nation, along with Jason's other groups, Cocksure, AccuCrack, Iron Lung Corporation, and Czar, head to cracknation.com. Join us next week for our final band interview with Brian Williams from Lustmord. Our closing segment, as always, is dedicated to Jamie Duffy, the inspiration for the Cold Waves Festival. This week, we have Jason remembering when Jamie came up with Jason's DJ AccuCrack alter ego. Well, after the second tour that we ever went on, we, we, we got this van from this band, The Birds at the End of the Road. I will just say their name again. And uh, the mishaps of this van almost put us in a mental hospital. I mean, I literally remember in the middle of a highway, on my knees, crying, screaming, like, this can't be happening. This isn't our life. And we ended up in some weird Nevada town. And this was the town that was called Battle Mountain. And you know this because it's got, on the side of a, of a giant mountain as you're coming in off the highway, it's got the letters BM carved into the <laughs> side of the mountain, which for people of a certain generation... BM was shorthand for bowel movement. So when your folks would talk about how you took a shit, they'd call it BM. And so that's <laughs> what we saw, you know, uh, inviting us into the town of Battle Mountain on the back of this tow truck. We were told that we had, you know, two days to sit there until so they could fix our transmission. We had no money. And it was one of these, like, really podunk way out of the way of Las Vegas, but it's still a Nevada town where, you know, there was slot machines and legalized this and that. And so we just take whatever little singles we have and we go to this casino that's kind of attached to this gas station and the scariest motel room that you've ever seen with just barely working power and definitely some murders have gone on in there. And so we try to get out of this room. We go to this little casino and I'm just pissed. This is the worst night ever. I, I can't believe we're here. And I have my four little singles and I'm sitting at this kiosk playing, you know, nickel slot or nickel poker. Cause if you sit long enough, they'll bring you a drink. So everybody else goes off, Jamie and Pez and Ethan and our buddy Paul Dillon, our wonderful merch guy from Ireland. They all go off and find their way doing it. So whatever they've done with their $4, it hasn't gone as well as mine. I keep winning. And so I have this sack of nickels in this thing and, and the guys keep coming up bit by bit and they're like, Oh man, you're doing good. Let me, let me get some of those nickels and got fine. And I would grab a handful of the nickels and kind of fling them at them to get them away from me. Cause by this point, I just, I was mad. I hated everybody. And then be like, yeah, go take your nickels. And so they'd take their nickels and they'd go try to play something and it wouldn't work out. And an hour later, there I am still doing okay. And finally, that's when Jamie came over with everybody else. And instead of using the word nickels, he used pickles and he called me Lord pickles with all of his nickels <laughs> and so he's like yeah i don't think we need lord pickles and his nickels anymore to help us out we're getting the fuck out of here so they all left and i sat there with my little pot it dwindled down but lord pickles and his nickels became shorthand for my whatever dj nickname along with kid knobs and it stuck you know to this day all from that horrible experience you never told that story that was a good one i like that <laughs> 